I want to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. A very familiar passage to all Christians, I think I could definitely say. When I was preparing, one of my commentaries said, this is probably the most commonly preached on text in the Bible. I did a quick check. I've not preached on it for a good lot of years. But it's one of those rich treasures which contains within it the wonders and the mercies and the marvels of God's love. And if God will help me this morning, I would like to help you to see that it's not just a famous verse in the Bible. It's a verse for each one of us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I just wonder what it brings to your mind as you hear these words. Let me see if I can be used of God to help you be drawn into the wonder and the mercies of his great love and kindness. I simply have three headings. Yesterday, today, and forever. I think when the scriptures are as clear as that, there's no need to go and work out some other clever statement. Yesterday, today, and forever. And as we look at it, to remember then that this has a context. And the context is the book of Hebrews. I've been preaching through it. I've not got this far yet, but in the next few weeks, God willing, I'll get there. The book of Hebrews, if I've understood it at all, is being written by an unknown author, although some, and I think they may well be right, think it's the Apostle Paul. And he's writing it to Jewish Christians who are experiencing persecution. You'll notice at the end of the chapter, Timothy was in jail. Christians were in difficult times. And they couldn't help but notice that their Jewish friends were not having that trouble. Those folks who had heard the gospel from men like Peter and Paul and come into the good of it, were asking themselves why they would continue to receive trouble when they might just slide back into Judaism and shelter under its umbrella. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us one of the most beautiful presentations of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Chapter after chapter, he's lifted up and exalted. Chapter after chapter, we're encouraged to remember who he is, what he's done, and what it means to have faith in him. Chapter 13 is the application of chapters 1 through 12. And so as you come into it, you have to understand that when, I almost said Paul, that when the writer is giving us these words, it's a way of helping us get a good hold of who Jesus is, what he's done and what he's doing and what he'll do forever. And he sums it up in such a succinct phrase, doesn't he? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you look at that word yesterday, you would be well within your rights to remember those verses from the scriptures which tell us that God himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are a number of them. 
It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The God himself is the eternal God. But I want to suggest to you that would be It could be profitable, but it wouldn't be the right way to take this verse. Remember, these are Christians in a difficult time. And they need encouragement. So what I want to suggest to you is that when he uses the phrase yesterday, he's reminding them that Jesus Christ actually did come to the earth and die for them and live for them and rise from the grave for them. That would be there yesterday. It would probably only be 30 or 40 years previous, but it was yesterday. And that's where I'd like us to go this morning. It's suggested that verse 8 comes in the chapter after an exhortation to remember the rulers. And it's suggested, if you read commentaries, that these rulers have, have in fact, themselves been persecuted and died and passed on. So now they're asking, who's going to lead us? Who have we got left? And the great truth is, we have Jesus. He was always there. We all have favorite preachers, don't we? Favorite books. Nowadays, favorite videos and audio recordings. And you might find somebody is specially helpful. But they're only visitors on the planet, aren't they? Three score years and ten. Four score for a, perhaps for a good man. Modern medical science seems to be stretching that out even further. But we're all only visitors. Therefore, we need someone who is permanent, reliable, and, and for us. And there's no clearer way of understanding that than reflecting upon Jesus Christ and what happened with him yesterday. Even the very words Jesus Christ, which we're so familiar with, have a word for us. Jesus was the name that both Mary and Joseph were instructed to give the baby. Not just because it was top of the popular names list, but because it had a message. He was coming as a real person. The eternal God did not consider his deity something to be grasped or held on to, but humbled himself. That was a milestone in history. And that indeed in itself is an incredible revelation of God's love to his people and to fallen mankind. That God took the form of a man, not only a man, a servant, and then went to the cross. That was there yesterday, that's your yesterday. And that's what you need to be focused on if you are indeed going to cope with and manage living in a world where the gospel is becoming less and less common. Back in chapter 6, he describes Jesus as an anchor for the soul. 
And when you're anchored on him, I remember when I preached on it, the word describes how they they got into difficult ports back then. What they would do is a little boat would come out and it would take the ship's anchor and it would enter in through the narrow straits and drop the anchor and then the ship would pull itself in on the anchor rope. What a beautiful picture of being a Christian, isn't it? To, To see ourselves anchored in Jesus or with Jesus as our anchor. And then spending the rest of our days, by his grace, being pulled in to the safe haven of our eternal resting place. These people need that. This people, this person needs that. When troubles come, I don't know what you do, but I need to remember that I've not, I've not believed cunningly devised fables, as Peter says. I find it's necessary for me as a Christian to go right back and just check out the reality of Christianity. And one of the great milestones in history is Jesus really existed. Everybody believes there was a man called Julius Caesar. You know, there are only six books in the whole of the world that talk about Caesar and prove that he existed when he was. I remember one person saying, if you look at the evidence for the the accuracy of the Bible, the number of documents would fill a football stadium. He was a real person. Then you need to ask the question, who was this real person? C.S. Lewis helps us, doesn't he? Was he a liar, claiming to be God? Was he a lunatic, thinking he was God? Or is he actually Lord and God? And God will have dealt with each of us in that way of thinking, where not only is Jesus Christ a real historical character of yesterday, but somewhere in my yesterday and your yesterday, we came to know him personally. Some people, it's very gentle, gradual, isn't it? They grew up in a Christian environment. They never knew anything else. But they, 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 they came to a point where they realized, I'm not just doing this because it's what I've always done. He loves me. And then you get the lovely picture of the Apostle Paul. We all like the dramatic, don't we? Riding on his horse off to Damascus to sort out those Christians and wham, bang, wallop. He's on the ground. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And I think we probably all fit somewhere within that spectrum. So there has been a yesterday in our life. It's a defining characteristic of our evangelical churches. The gospel, the good news is, I was lost. Jesus found me. I've not followed cunningly devised fables. Jesus was a real man, but wait a minute, that's only half the name, isn't it? He is the Christ. And that then takes you on a journey right back to the Garden of Eden. God made a promise when Adam and Eve sinned that somebody was coming to crush the serpent's head. And I hope you've done this at some point. You've traced that fine line all the way through the Old Testament. It's there, and it's there for your encouragement. You see, God knew the mess we would make of the world. 
And my Bible says that even before we messed it up, God had appointed his son to be a lamb to pay the penalty for our sin. So when I see Jesus, I I reflect on the man. When I see Christ, I, I reflect on the wonder that the living God, the holy God, the righteous God could look upon the likes of us and say, I want them with me forever. Jesus Christ then, the word means Messiah, I'm sure you understand that is the one that God had promised would come to set up his kingdom and to deliver a people for his name. And I think just by using that word yesterday, these people were being drawn back to remember the privilege of being a Christian, the wonder of being a Christian, what it cost, how it happened, and how it became mine. One of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20, fascinates me. The only place in the Bible where Paul uses the personal pronoun as he does. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. It's personal. Who gave himself for me. If I had been the only sinner in the world... He would have needed to die to bring me back into a relationship with God. How wonderful, how marvelous, says one of the hymn writers. And my great desire is to to, to bring you to that place this morning. Take a minute. It's personal. Almost private, except we do share it. Remember what God has done for you in Christ. Remember why you're now sitting in a place of worship. I grew up in some churches where they would regularly have people giving testimonies. It goes too far. But sometimes I think we, we, we lose out by not actually taking time to say, how did, how did you become a Christian? We're not glorying in the story or the, or, the, or the details. What we want to do is look at the wonder of God's grace and love. And when you're up against it, what you need most of all to be reminded is that God is for you. You read Romans 8. Nothing is able to separate us. How much? Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And that love is not conditional. That love is not based upon my performance or my consistency. It's fully and freely the outflowing of God's own heart. What a reason to get up in the morning. What a delight then to step out in faith into the world that we live We began with the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Without that foundation, there is no church. Might be religious places, but they're not churches. For no other foundation can anyone lay, says the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 3.11, than that which is laid. Notice the past tense. It's already been done yesterday. Jesus Christ. 
which is Jesus Christ. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Chapter 6, verse 19 of Hebrews. Oh, my dear friends, let's encourage ourselves. Do you talk to yourself? I hope so. It's not a sign of losing your mind. It's a good biblical principle. Because the enemy will continually whisper, you're no good, you're a failure, you're not worth loving, God doesn't love you anymore. Tell him to take a hike. Open the book. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. We'll come to today in a minute and forever if we get that far. I'm more and more anxious that I, 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 I imbibe the wonder and the incredible nature of the fact that I'm a Christian. That I'm called to go back to basics. That I'm called regularly. Do you ever reflect on the Lord's Supper? Why that word, why the, the order that Paul gets, gives us begins with the word remember? Of all the things that God could have said, keep doing this, he chose one. Now what's the purpose of that? To remember how much I'm loved. To remember the wonder of his love. To remember the power of his love. To remember that one day this veil of tears will give way to the bliss and the joy of eternity. I'm not advertising, but tonight I'm going to talk about that, the place where there's no more tears. Mr. Spurgeon says, If he is always the same, rejoice in him and rejoice always. If you ever had cause to rejoice in Christ, you always have cause, for he never alters. If yesterday you could sing of him, today you may sing of him. If he changed, your joy might change. But if the stream of your gladness springs solely and only out of this great deep of the immutability of Christ, then it need never stay its flow. Are you a joyful Christian? I didn't say, are you happy? Happiness comes and goes. It depends what's happening. The joy of being a Christian is, he loved me. When he was hung on that cross, he died for me. When he rose from that grave, it was so that I could know that there was justification by faith in him. And it's to this we must refer the unbeliever. What on earth keeps you going? You do realize that so many folks now are, are, well, what's the words? There's an increase in the number of people committing suicide. I didn't know her at all, but there was a young lady in all the news just a few weeks ago, wasn't there? She had the fame, the riches, the power, the influence. And at 40 years old, she decided life wasn't worth living. 
I know so little of her, I don't even know her name. And it appears to be something that is infiltrating our younger culture. Because if they're not getting the buzz all the time, there's no point. Now, you might not be in that realm. You might be more staid and respectable. Happy with your lot. But really, one day you must leave it all behind. What have you got to look forward to? Whenever I say that, I correct myself. Who have you got to look forward to? And I want to encourage you to understand the reason that the church is still here, that Christians are still talking this talk, is so that those who are not yet in Christ might hear and believe. And so even if you resisted for all your life up till now, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Oh, where did I get that? Hebrews. It's vitally important that you realize there's only one reason for living, and that is knowing Jesus Christ and the future which is ours in him. Mr. Spurgeon, again, I was finding it very helpful this week. You're always saying it will be better tomorrow. Will that blot out yesterday? I must be more diligent in the future. Will that redeem the lost opportunities which have departed in the years gone by? No. If you have loitered long and lingered much, you will find the harder running of today and will not make up. Sorry, the harder running of today will not make up for the loitering of yesterday. Today, if you hear his voice, and that takes me right into my second point today, right now. I think it's Calvin that says one of the problems with our theology is we hold it 15 inches too high. It's all up here. Then it's supposed to be down here. You shall love the Lord God with all your... You know that next word, don't you? It goes on to include the mind. But being a Christian doesn't depend on how clever you are. Being a Christian depends on knowing him who loved you and gave himself for you. And when when the writer of Hebrews brings to their attention that Jesus Christ is the same today, he wants them to understand that even in the midst of their difficulties and trials, Jesus Christ is still actively involved in their lives and working for their eternal well-being. He is the eternal God. Before Abraham was, I am. But he is also the God who became present, who took upon himself the form of a man, who understood the limits of our minds like this, that we can never fully comprehend who God is, so he came in a form which we can comprehend. I'm always troubled by pictures of Jesus. I don't know if you are. Nobody knows what he looked like, and I think that was quite deliberate. But we do know he was a man, two legs, two arms. He was hungry. He needed to sleep. 
Because Hebrews says he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He really knew what it was to be here. And when he came here, he gathered to himself a group of people. Disciples, we call them. And they lived with him and walked with him and worked with him. And he was their comforter. How do I know? Because when he's telling them he's leaving, he's saying, it's good for you that that I go away. For if I go away, another comforter will come. The work of Jesus continues. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to bring us to glory. And that this never, ever stops. Now that then is a matter of faith. Faith gets bad press today, doesn't it? It's put in the scales and balanced against science. And people imagine then that, oh, I'm not just going to believe fairy tales. I'm not believing fairy tales either. From the very beginning of becoming a Christian, I had to know it was true. I'm not from a Christian family. I had to be convinced that it was right. And the scriptures are very, very clear that that is the case. So what is faith if it's, not, if it's not believing what you don't know? Faith in the New Testament is on different levels. When you become a Christian, you, you come by faith to Jesus Christ. It's not believing fairy tales. It's believing the real historical facts and evidence of who Jesus is, what he said. And trusting him. I've used the illustration and I fear I might have used it here before. How many of you checked your chair before you sat down this morning? Most folks just come in and if there's nothing there, they just plunk down, don't they? How could you be confident it would hold you up? Because you know these chairs. You've seen them used week after week. You understand that they're made of metal. They're strong. They're able to bear you up. Sitting down is an act of faith. And when I look at Jesus, I find one who is strong, man and God at the same time. And because of his redemption, well able to bear me up and I can rest myself in him. Faith is a substance, chapter 11, verse 1, of things not seen. The evidence of things hoped for. Faith, you see, is based on evidence and fact. And it is that, that heart movement whereby you are drawn by the Holy Spirit to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And while the day of your trusting him might have been 50 years ago for me, it's a day-by-day experience. You ever wonder why you're exhorted to read and pray every day? You don't get points for it. The whole object is to be reminded of who God is, what Christ has done, what you really like, and the wonderful truth of this new relationship. It's a day-by-day experience. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Yes, he saved me. Today, he is saving me. In spite of my foolishness and madness and 
insanity which seems to take control of my life. In the book of Hebrews, this this comes out a number of times. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus came yesterday that today Satan might be controlled and destroyed. Chapter 2, verse 17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He had to come as a man so that he could take our place on the cross, yes, and that today. He might be our high priest, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us. Where do you get that? Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus is not sat in glory with his arms folded and his legs crossed waiting for the Father to tell him it's time. He ever lives, I think it's 725, isn't it, to make intercession for us. He knows, you see, that you slip and fall. He knows that left to yourself, at the least you'll embarrass yourself and the worst disgrace yourself. When I was baptized back in Scotland, they had the habit of giving a, a text for your baptism. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And he delights in his way. Having looked at it, I thought the next verse was better. Because it says, though he fall, he shall not fall headlong. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalm 37, verse 23 and 4, I think it is. And that's the picture in the New Testament, isn't it? Not of a God who simply acted in the past, but a God who is personally, actively acting on our behalf today. We take so much for granted I was thinking on the Lord's Prayer just recently. Why does he include in there, give us this day our daily bread? It's an intriguing phrase, isn't it? Just to be pushed in the middle. Worshipping him as our Father in heaven. Praying for his kingdom to come. Wanting his will done. Speaking about forgiveness. Praying that you'll be kept out of trouble and Satan won't get his way with you. Why bread in the middle? I mean, I can just nip round the corner to the supermarket and get bread. It's a powerful way of actually reminding us the things that we take for granted and assume we will always have are actually God's gift day by day. It's a powerful way of saying, wait a minute. That whole process of rain, seeds, things growing up, and some of you here know a lot more about it than I do, it's not magic. It's a system that God established. Because he, know, he knows that you need food every day to keep you going. Well, you can go a day or two, can't you? And it's a picture of the fact that we need God's word every day. I am the bread of life. You do know who said that, don't you? And so, every day, 
As we stop to eat, we say, thank you, Lord. To acknowledge he provides for us. And every day, my Christian brother and sister, you and I are called to stop and say, thank you, God, for this great truth that he ever lives to make intercession for us. There's another verse which I love to to reflect on, Ephesians 1, I think it's 22, that he reigns over all things. But again, the verse doesn't stop there. Have you seen that verse? He reigns over all things on behalf of his church. We're battered and bruised at the present time. We've lost the privileges or are losing them of the glory of our ancestor and the hard work that went into making this a Christian country. And you, you might be oppressed by the difficulties that you see on the clouds, on the edge of time. But know this with a certainty. Jesus, can I say, is looking after us today. He's managing the tyrants and the viruses in such a way as to bring us through to his glory. I read yesterday about Mr. Spurgeon Apparently there was a cholera epidemic in this country in the the last quarter of the 19th century, wasn't it? And many advised him to leave the city of London to get away from the danger, but he chose rather to be back in the city ministering to God's people because he believed God was in absolute control. But that doesn't mean you don't take precautions, you don't wash your hands, that you don't be sensible. But it does make a whole pile of a difference to whether we melt into a blob of tears on the ground or are able to step forward believing that God's in control of my today and my tomorrow. Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brethren. Notice again, he's talking to the Christians, therefore, because of all that I've just been explaining about the covenants and the the work of Christ. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a new heart, sorry, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why would I do all that? For he who promised is faithful. God won't let you down. Do you believe it? One of these great hymns, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. A rousing tune, isn't it? And it's possible to be lifted up in the thrill of it and to miss the meaning. The reason I can navigate the course of time is that this very day, my Saviour, is working all things together for good. Again, a verse we trip off our lips. Think about it. All things. Not some things. 
And that includes the things we don't like. All things together for good. And so in saying to these Christians, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, he's really driving home into their minds and into mine and yours, I hope, the privilege we have of being children of God. Another hymn I love is, why should the children of a king go mourning all their days? Why shouldn't we get excited? Why shouldn't we recover the joy that's been it's sort of been hijacked from our evangelical reformed churches by the charismatic movement, hasn't it? We, we don't want to be like that. But really and truly, joy is, is our portion. It's the power of knowing that yesterday Jesus died for me. Today he ever lives to make intercession for me. See if I can press on to the last point. Before I do, let me just emphasize and talk to the unbeliever again. What keeps you going each day? I was in engineering before the the Lord called me into the ministry, and I, I, I remember one gentleman in particular. Harry Hill was his name. He's burned in here. I was in maintenance, and so when you were repairing the machinery, you often had to go and get a piece especially made for you, and Harry was the man that made them. And you had to stand beside Harry and just wait patiently. But every word that came from his mouth was a moan and a complaint. Everybody's character was blackened. Nothing was ever right. And he's in my mind, you see, that's where the unbeliever is or will be. Nothing's going right. Everything's working against me. I'm sure you've met these people. Don't be surprised because without Christ interceding on our behalf, that's where we would be. Wait a minute, Christian, you've not been there, have you? You do know that the children of Israel were judged for just that very thing, for grumbling and complaining. The wonderful blood of Jesus would cleanse you from that sin right now. Don't go home depressed. Look to Christ. Go to Calvary. Claim the promise. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me go to the last. I've just seen how much time I've used up. And forever. And forever. As far forward as you can possibly conceive, I've written down here. I remember being 21 and 71 seemed miles away. Well, it's here. And I know with a certainty I won't see another 71. Measure your own life. Double it. Some of you might just manage to go if you have health and wealth and the ability. But most of us, if we double our life, we'll be gone from this world. Where will we go? The gospel is the key to that great truth. And forever. 
You see, Christians are not just optimists who found a happy pill. We are realists who've heard God speak, who know for a certainty that God is, and that this holy God so loves sinners that he gave his son to be their substitute, and whenever somebody comes to him as their substitute, the whole record of their sin is blotted out. And they've been given then not only everlasting life here and now, but forever. We're not waiting for it to start, you see. We already know God and are known by God. We talk with him. We walk with him. And we live life in the sure knowledge that one day we must leave this ball of dust, if the Lord tarries, of course, and stand in his presence. How will I fare on that day? I asked a young man yesterday, when you meet God, will you get a welcome? I can't remember the man's first name, Kennedy, who was in Florida as a preacher. He has a little book, Evangelism Explosion, and that's the question he uses over and over. It's a useful one. If you meet God, will you get a welcome? And he said, yes. Praise the Lord. So I said, then why? And that's when you find them out. Because they begin to tell you, well, I did this, I did that, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. Let me tell you clearly, when I get to that heavenly gate, like John Bunyan's Christian, I've only got one argument for being let in. And that is that I have a certificate of adoption. And because of what Christ has done, my forever is fixed. My forever is concretely established. Jesus Christ conquered death. And a little bunch of 11 fishermen and a few businessmen were so transformed that they changed the world. Why were they ready to have their heads chopped off, to be fed to lions? Why were they ready to be tortured? And it's not just back then. You have to read nowadays, haven't you? In North Africa, there are some horrendous things happening. Boko Haram and others are invading and they're lining the Christians up and they've only got one question, will you abandon Christianity? And if not, goodbye. Why don't the Christians say, stop, please, don't, don't do that? Because like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die. I don't want it to be uncomfortable, please. But to die is game. Can you imagine closing your eyes for the last time in this world and opening them in the next? We had a little lady in Kirby Moorside, Barbara Lowry was her name, some of you might know her. And she had a, an unbelieving family, but she loved the Lord. They were all around her deathbed when she was at the point of passing away. Tears in their eyes, wondering... How much longer when she sat up with a big smile on her face? What's happened, Mum? What's happening? I've seen the other side. And she lay down and went there. But we don't depend on stories about human beings. The great truth of the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who died, is alive. 
And every doubting Thomas is invited to put their finger in the evidence and check it for themselves. We're not far from the celebration of Easter. One of the great joys is to find the books of the people who set out to disprove the resurrection. Who moved the stone? Is it Frank Morrison? Who wrote evidence that demands a verdict? His name's just not coming to my mind, but you know what I mean. His students asked, challenged him to check out the resurrection as he was scoffing Christianity and he came to faith in Christ. The resurrection, you see, is the, 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 the central truth which gives us confidence forever. Now, it would be very real for the readers of Hebrews in the first century. If it was, if it was as some think, Nero, who was the emperor, and that wicked man took pleasure in horrifically killing Christians... They needed to be encouraged and reassured. At the moment I step from time, I step into eternity. Dear, dear beloved Christian, can you see how this verse is so powerful? Jesus Christ. Not your church, not your upbringing, not your good works. Jesus Christ is the same, unchanging. Yesterday he died for me. Yesterday I came to faith in him. Today he lives for me. He intercedes for me. So that when I fall, he lifts me up and puts me back on the straight and narrow way. And tomorrow, or forever if I stick by the text, he's waiting to welcome me. We shall see him. And we shall be like him. For we'll see him as he is. Now I'm not in a rush to push anybody over the edge. But what a difference it makes to life. What is life about? He is who life is about. He will reign forever. Human kings come and go. So does my time. Human kings come and go. But Jesus is king of kings. And lord of lords. And his kingdom will triumph over all kingdoms. Revelation is 11, then maybe 17. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ. That's the final chapter, and I've read it. And I pray that you read it regular. And then you'll go out into that world empowered by the difference it makes. That those difficult people that you're truly having trouble with are not the end of the story. Pray for them. That those challenging circumstances which are maybe waiting for you tomorrow as you wake up and go back to, to work or whatever are not the end of the story. What was it she said? The stumbling blocks that lie across our way may be, the little sto stones that lie across our way may be stumbling blocks or stepping stones. Every difficulty has that opportunity to make you fall or to lift you higher. And my prayer is that's where you'll be. And can I just say, what these Christians know is what every unbeliever needs. And it's available today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your heart. Flee to Christ. And you'll find that all I've been waffling about 
It's not only true, it's yours. Amen.